Welcome to the Project Update Podcast. I'm Joe Simpson. I'm Dave Ramsey. Hey Dave, how's it going? Doing pretty good, Joe. How you doing? Good. Welcome back from your week of travel and nerd convention or conference. <laughs> Thank you. It was a lovely week. Yeah, good. Yeah. It's Florida, so it's really hot, really humid, and rains every day. But that is kind of our definition of beautiful, isn't it? Mm, that's not so much. <laughs> yeah. It was actually really pleasant getting off the plane in Columbus, Ohio and going, wow, it's like 80 and not super humid. And this just feels great. Even the sun feels nicer. <laughs> if you're happy to be in Ohio in August. <laughs> <laughs> well, spend a week in Florida. It makes Ohio look positively pleasant. Yeah. Nice. So I have been pretty busy since we last talked. Um, I'm sure the listeners caught on that the episode from last week was pre-recorded. So it's been two weeks since we've spoken. And uh, I guess before I dive into my update, do we have any follow-up? I don't have anything on my list. Um, no. Yeah? Okay. So listeners, if you have any follow-up for us, you can reach out to us on Twitter. Links in the show notes or project-update slash contact. And uh, we'll mention you on the show. So... Last time we talked, I had just spent a weekend spinning my wheels with Swift UI and Core Data. And I'm not going to rehash the entire conversation again, but basically I was on the fence of whether or not I should even keep bothering with it. And then the next day, Apple released a new beta that has some basic Core Data stuff built into Swift UI, both in, I guess there's a several different pieces that kind of make it work together. Um, there's an environment variable for managed object context. So you can now set, every view can have a setting for a managed object context, which is a useful bit of, it's a necessary little object that you have to kind of pass around and manage when you're working with core data. Like here is the thing that you're working with. Uh, you, you pass it to, um, functions when you're getting, you know, when you're doing fetch requests or using fetch result controllers and things like that. You also use it when you're doing save operations or deletes or modifying records. Like it's basically kind of like a, a scratch pad that you're working in and you can do stuff in the manage object context without actually affecting the data store and then you save the context to commit those changes. So it's a, it's a neat little thing and usually in the UIKit version of stuff, I just passed it around with dependency injection from one view controller to another. And now they've got something similar that you can do with the environment variable with Swift UI. And then they also made Swift UI, or they made the core data classes identifiable by default and observable objects by default. Um, so they work <coughs> much better with publishers and they changed some of the syntax around publishers so you can observe what's happening from Swift UI views. And then uh, there's a couple other things they changed as well. Oh yeah, so they added two new property wrappers called fetch result and fetch request. So you can actually declare a Swift property or a variable in the Swift UI struct that will hold a reference to your uh, fetched result or your fetched request. And 
Swift will automatically update the UI based on the results of that request as it changes. So it's not everything that you can do in UIKit. It's only you know, a tiny number of things. But for my relatively simple app, it was <laughs> enough to move forward. And it, yeah, it's I kind of spent the week pestering people on Twitter who I know know a lot more about core data and Swift UI than me to see if anybody else had found anything. Um, there was, there's a, a, U, a Udemy course that I worked through that week after we recorded. So I basically stopped working for a couple of days to work, to kind of like go through my education backlog. Um, once I saw that the core data stuff was finally showing up in Switch UI, I figured like, I'm not, I'm just not going to deal with auto layout ever again. It's just, <laughs> I'd rather have the bugs and idiosyncrasies of court of Swift UI than ever deal with auto layout again. So I will I will stick with the crashes and the weird behaviors and the lack of documentation just so I don't have to make any more constraints. So it's not necessarily a bad choice. No. So with the core data stuff showing up, I decided I'm gonna throw myself into Swift UI and learn everything I can about it. So I went through most of my backlog of WWDC videos and watched through those, took a ton of notes and kind of worked through my own examples of stuff as I could. Then I, I bought this Udemy course, which I'll link to in the show notes. Um, it's a very good course, really good teacher. He definitely goes at my pace. He explains stuff very thoroughly without coming off as condescending or arrogant or anything like that. But it's not so dumbed down where he's like, okay, we're going to start with variables. Like it's not at that level. It's, you know, assuming that you know a little bit about iOS development, um, then it's a really good course. And he goes around from lots of different examples. And then early that week, he added a whole chapter about core data, which was really helpful. So he took a totally different approach to what I'm about to talk about, about using MVVM um, to set up some objects that interact with core data and then using Swift UI to interact with those. And I'm using that design pattern a couple places in my app. So I worked through that course. And then there was also a blog that I've been following for a while called Andrew, Andrew Bancroft. And he's written a lot about core data over the years. And he did a couple of quick examples and published a, like an open source or free tutorial project on GitHub. Uh, called blog ideas, where he just used the blog idea I, idea as a way of like, let's make something simple in core data and Swift UI. And I'm kind of basing a lot of what I've done so far off of that. Um, and yeah, so it was basically a week of Swift UI and core data education stuff. I still have a lot of other stuff that I want to learn that's in my education list, but um, then I took kind of a three-day weekend, so I finished that stuff up Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of that week and took a little three-day weekend to think about whether or not I actually wanted to use any of that in practice before I just kind of rushed in blindly. And basically, it was all I thought about all weekend, so the decision kind of made itself. And then all of last week, Monday through Friday, I basically just sat in front of Xcode and made stuff in Swift UI all week. And 
I've got the Swift UI. So I made a totally new project from the ground up, uh, totally new repo, everything. Uh, pretty much archived all of my additional or previous work and just spent the entire week making stuff, trying out different designs, trying out different implementations of stuff. And we'll go over some of the specifics. But as of now, I'm in one week of work, I pretty much did what took two months to do in UIKit. So I'm pretty happy with that. Sweet. Now, some of that, that's not necessarily a fair comparison because a lot of that time was spent refining the design of the app of like how things are going to flow from a business logic standpoint. Mm -hmm. So I already had that stuff kind of figured out for me. So it made this process much more of a, you know, just implementation phase of going down the checklist of stuff I want to do for the app. But yeah, it's pretty far along. I've got, I would say, a pretty reasonable chance of shipping it around the iOS 13 time, assuming that SwiftUI is stable enough to ship then. And we'll talk about that. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I have a ton of work to do on it, obviously. Like I've got half of the app built and the other half hasn't even been started yet. I just have like placeholder views built. And then I've done some neat stuff with like basically dealing with the things that SwiftUI doesn't have like collection views. There is nothing similar to a collection view at this point. But one of the things I learned in that Udemy course was how to kind of fake a collection grid. And this only works if you're making a collection view that every everything is the same size. Like if you need like a dynamically sized thing, like you would see in the Photos app with different size thumbnails and stuff, this wouldn't work. Um, but this is basically just taking an array and parsing it out into rows. So you pass in the number of columns you want and then parsing those columns and rows out um, as kind of sub arrays. And is, that, is that a huge amount of work or a relatively small amount of work? It, it was like a five line extension onto the array. And then I okay. used something called geometry reader to actually get the dimensions in which the view is gonna be plopped. So I'm gonna, I, I use geometry reader as kind of a wrapper I get a number and do some calculations on that to get a, a, an int. So I don't want any floating point numbers or anything. I just want like, how many columns should I have? And then I pass that column to the view as one of the properties that I set on it when I instantiate it. And then um, because I'm using that int as a bindable object, if the user rotates the device, then the the columns recalculate and everything sorts out. It is, I'm really only using it for the color picker and the icon picker. So just little circles, basically, that you're selecting. But yeah, it's it's a workaround. I'm sure someday I'll be able to rip it out, but it's definitely good enough for now. It's, it's a small amount of data that we're dealing with, too. The icons, there's 101 icons, and there's 10 colors. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't take long at all to you know, parse through these arrays and plop everything out into different columns. Some of the stuff that's bugging me about Swift UI, uh, modals, so sheets as they're called in iOS 13, modals are pretty much the best way to do data entry for my app. And they're pretty borked at this point. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How yeah. so, Joe? So, this happens a couple different places throughout SwiftUI, and it's kind of a known issue 
that everybody knows about except for Apple. <laughs> like they're not they're not putting it in their known issues list, but people have submitted requests about it or bugs about it. Um, but when a when you use a sheet, so you basically make a button or maybe a table row or something like that, and then you attach a sheet modifier to it and you pass that a view of what you're gonna load. The sheet is actually managed by a state variable. So you you don't really invoke the sheet itself. There is no like show sheet or perform segue or anything like that. You just set the variable to true and then the sheet will present itself. And that works flawlessly, but passing data to it doesn't. So I will pass a record to it in the sheet implementation and it will always be passed, but only the first time is presented will it actually do anything with that record that it's receiving. And I can even see it, like I can oh. throw some print lines in it and it will, I, I can, so for new records, this is not a problem. You open an empty sheet with nothing selected. I have some selected defaults for like the color and the icon. You enter something in a text field, click done, there's no issues there. It's more for editing records. If I if I want to change the name of a list or change the color or an icon, I open it, I change it, I hit done, it dismisses. And if I reopen the same thing, then it's loaded default data. It's not receiving the data that I passed it. It does get it, like I can print it out and see it, but the view doesn't seem to have any understanding of that. Um, and this happens in list views, this happens in detail views. And I'm not sure if this is happening in detail views because the detail views are being loaded from a list view earlier up in the hierarchy. Because um, there was some talk online that this, this has to do with mainly when you're loading these modals from list views. So that it may just be a list view thing itself, but it's one of those things I'm kind of like, I've written down as a known issue in my app and I'm not gonna try to fix it because there's nothing that I can really do. Um, but if it gets to the point where everything is done and I'm ready to ship, then I would probably have to remove the modal for editing stuff and just do a regular show style segue where you're just sliding over, which is just, it's fine. It's just not the right user interaction yeah. for this type of data entry. Is it I could also do the popover thing like you see on uh -huh. iPads. I just hate that for data entry. Yeah. Could you destroy the sheet every time and recreate it? Not that I know how. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. I mean, that's that's huge. It's not a ton of work necessarily, but it's a huge amount of behind the scenes code to destroy one and rebuild one every time you want to display one. But mm -hmm. if it only works the first time, only let each one run the first time. Yeah. <laughs> then it's gone. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Um. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, there is no. I, like, I'm never making a sheet, like, so I don't know how to destroy a sheet. I'm never making it. I'm just using a dot sheet modifier with a a bound variable name, okay, and then passing that a view. Gotcha. So I have no idea, like, under the hood, what's actually happening. Like, so what I'm doing is is four lines of code. But mm -hmm. so I have no idea. It's not like I can remove a view controller from the view hierarchy or destroy an object from like a you know a sprite kit hierarchy or something like that mm. 
Yeah, I, I I figured at some level you had to create the sheet so it would have the right fields, and then. But I'm not. I have a view. Yeah. I'm making. I have the yeah. view, and I can show the view anywhere in in the sheet or not. But I'm not. The sheet is just a wrapper for the view. Gotcha. It's just the thing that says slide up in modal format. But I'm not making that. All I'm doing is calling this dot sheet property wrapper, and then that property wrapper is using is looking for a boolean value of whether or not it should show. And then if it's true, then it presents, and then you mark it as false to have it dismissed, which is weird, but effective. <laughs> weird, but effective should be the t-shirt design for Swift UI. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> like all of this is new to me. I'm sure this makes perfect sense to people who have been working with these types of frameworks for years, but it's totally new to me. So yeah, I've got... I've made a ton of progress. I've got pretty much all this week to spend on it. Um, and I'm trying to figure out a couple of things I was hoping we can talk about. Um, mm -hmm. One would be how much do I keep working on this and also put giving myself a deadline for shipping something. And so I guess let's talk about the shipping first. Um, my you know, back of the mind idea was always just to ship it around ios 13 mm -hmm. whenever that releases there's been a little bit of rumors and people talking on twitter that this may be the first year that apple doesn't ship ios 13 on time because it's still in a pretty rough state um i don't know if that's true if they're gonna you know release a couple more betas this month and kind of clean everything up um there's also the fact of like I don't know if I want to necessarily try to release on day one of iOS 13 when there will be plenty of more interesting things to talk about than my app. <laughs> okay. And it may just it may be better just to wait a couple of weeks for people that write about this stuff and talk about this stuff when they're actually looking for something to talk about again rather than kind of get lost in that. I don't know, I don't know if I have any chance of getting any kind of press coverage for an app launch like this, but I, I'm pretty sure I have no chance of that if I try to time the launch with iOS 13. Right. So I'm kind of thinking maybe end of September, like usually iOS is like the second week of September. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe towards the end of September or early October for a proper release which could give me a little bit more time to do testing, like public beta tests, things like that. Um, there's the other item, I'm trying to figure out how much, how much time I should spend on this relative to my other work. And I'm in a situation where I can basically keep working on this full time until the end of October without generating any revenue, but then my company runs out of money completely. So I don't really want to work right up to the deadline. Um, right. But I know as soon as I take on another project and split my focus, then the progress I make on this will, it'll, it'll take a huge hit on how productive I can be. Right. And if I can get it far enough along where I'm just, you know, putting out, dealing with bugs making small changes kind of refining it then that's fine i can i can do that kind of work 
but during this huge development phase is not a good idea to split that. And I may be able to finish up that huge development phase this week or next week and have it not be an issue. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm trying to balance the need to make some money with mm-hmm. my lack of desire to make some money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I don't really want other people's money. I want to make my own money. Okay. Well, this isn't advice. This is throwing an idea into the hopper. Mm-hmm. Why don't you spend a month now-ish and make some money? Because your work with Swift UI and things like that will all be accelerated by bug fixes that Apple is making right now. Mm-hmm. And so if you just give them another month to catch up with where you are, it might put you in a perfect position to be able to knock out the app even faster. Yeah. Okay. And that'll also then put you on about the right timeline for releasing just after 13 rather Mm -hmm. than immediately with 13. Like you don't want to, I don't know that it does you any good to totally finish the app and have it ready to go and then sit on it for three weeks waiting for the right moment to release. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not. I'm not saying that I would sit on it for three weeks. I'm saying yeah. I would. I would finish up everything on my list now and continue to work on stuff that I think could benefit in version one. Right. Yeah. The I guess the other thing that kind of balance this with is, in November I start to get busy again, and like it's it becomes November through March of lots of consulting work, and I won't have much time to do it. So if I sat on this for a month or did other work for a month. And didn't start working on this again until September. I would be rushing to try to get it done in time, mm-hmm. to the point where I wouldn't have time to work on it in the future. And I don't really want to do that. Yeah. Yeah, but you can't. You can't work on this. Correct me if I'm wrong. You can't work on this app until November, without doing some paid work, right? I can. I can work on this until November. That's until the end of October is when I run out of money. Okay. It's so one of my business friends out of money. Right. So yeah, it's usually like because I work with a lot of education folks, mm-hmm. then usually October is, you know, ramping up sales for the year. People have got their budgets in place and they're ready to start spending money. Right. And it's usually a couple of folks who want to spend money before the end of the year. So they'll buy a bunch of work that won't even start until January. But yeah, I mean ideal situation not that i have any chance of this happening is i would like to start making enough money off of this type of work that i don't have another one of those october sales pitches mm-hmm. and more work in in the winter but that's probably not going to happen this year yeah momentum is tough <laughs> mm-hmm. I definitely have some stuff to think about but for this week i'm not <laughs> i got too much i want to do in swift ui and i guess like one of the things we talked about in our special indie working conditions episode was the the notion of like not taking my mind off of something kind of doing those work binges mm-hmm. and being able to keep something in my head for days or weeks at a time and that's kind of what the last couple of weeks have been without actually doing the work binge so I've, I've only still been working six or seven hours a day but i've been keeping this type of work in my mind the whole time and i'm starting to understand things and things are starting to click mm-hmm. You know, making progress, and I, that's one of the reasons that I'm hesitant to try to stop 
now and work on other stuff yeah because i'm going to lose that momentum and then kind of have to get it back in a couple months rather than i don't know get over this, these initial learning hurdles and then just have it be something i know how to do like you know i'm like i'm not going to get to the point where i'm an expert at it like i am with other stuff in a couple of months but i'm definitely getting to the point where Swift UI is small enough at this phase, it's feasible for me to know how to do everything that is possible to do with Swift UI mm -hmm. this year. Next year, that probably won't be true yeah. anymore. <laughs> yeah, I remember having a similar conversation back when DVDs were first released. And it was possible, feasible, to purchase every single DVD that was released. <laughs> you could own them all. Own every yeah. DVD. Yeah. I thought about that when I got into VR. I'm like, I could technically afford every VR game there is. Which is <laughs> you know, yeah. 2017. Yeah. I, I knew a guy, a FileMaker engineer, that at one point back in his college days had the entire internet bookmarked. Oh, God. Every single website bookmarked. For a while. <laughs> For a while. There's only like, you know, 30 or 40 of them for a while. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So that's kind of my update. I know it's kind of scatterbrained, but uh, yeah. Core data, Swift UI, lots of progress this week. More of the same. And I guess I got some thinking to do about business in the meantime. Anyway, how, uh, how about you? <laughs> well, I don't know that I'm going to bring a lot of focus to this discussion. <laughs> uh so we've had two weeks. The first week was really just all dev, um, working on slides, trying to get things prepped for DevCon. Mm -hmm. um, the app now has, FM Comparison now has an icon. Hmm. Ta-da! Adding the icon to the app really makes it feel real. Mm -hmm. Like you're command tabbing through your apps and you see the icon there and it's got the name and like that's a real thing rather than the the boilerplate app icon that just pops up automatically. Um, came up with a system for notating and displaying itemized changes. So <laughs> if I've got, you know, a layout object might have 30 different properties. It's actually larger than that, but say it's got 30 different properties. I've, now got a way to say there are five properties in this section of properties. You know, we're talking about rotation and flipping and stuff like that. And so I can define a section header and then define a array of queries. And basically it's query and then how to describe whatever the result is. And I pass this big chunk to a method that then runs all of those queries in the list. And if any of them come up with differences, it builds a little return data structure that has um, kind of the header section and then the body sections, but only for the pieces that changed. Hmm. And so it makes it really easy for me to just kind of take huge messes of properties, break them down into small chunks, go, here's 
here's where to find the data, here's what to call the data. And then it just collapses that whole thing into, these are the five things that changed. It's all you care about with section headers. Um, which is kind of cool. And so once mm-hmm. that happened, uh, I got a lot more progress made on trying to display those. I'm still just barely scratching the surface. Um, but I did kind of... Most of table fields, uh, tables, um, layouts themselves, like the layout header, and maybe one other thing. But things get complicated when you get into the layout objects and script steps. So that stuff's kind of on the back burner for right now. Um, But yeah, but it made it for a much better demo. You know, people could see where things were going and, and stuff like that. Um, and then also before I left for Florida, I sat down with a local uh, web dev to start conversations about having him um, really give this thing a facelift. Hmm. Make the thing flow and look good. We'll see how those conversations go. Something besides the default HTML appearance of everything Uh, yeah yeah um so yeah so then i went to devcon um filemaker devcon yes the filemaker developer conference the last i always i always think it's kind of funny that filemaker community just calls it devcon as if Mm -hmm. there's only one developer Mm -hmm. conference like just all the other stuff I follow all year. It's like, there's a lot of these. Unity, <laughs> Unity has like six of them. Uh-huh. Well, I've got a friend who goes to DEF CON, which always happens at about the same time of year in Vegas. Nice. And so I'm like, I'm going to DEF CON. He's like, yeah, I'll see you there. I'm like, you're not going to DEF CON. I know you're not going to DEF CON. <laughs> you don't even know what FileMaker is. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so... Um, well, it, we aren't going to have that problem anymore because this was the last FileMaker DevCon. Mm-hmm. Um, now it is Claris Engage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I <laughs> I actually don't have a judgment on it. I think most developers are going to continue to call it DevCon if for no other reason than it will be easier to get management approval on going to DevCon than to Engage. Yeah, the buzzwords are pretty thick. Um, Workplace innovation platform. Uh, when you get the full messaging, I actually kind of like that one. Um, th- let's let's leave all of that stuff for later. I'm, I'm going to stick on FM comparison <laughs> for right now. That was just a minor digression. <clears throat> at, once I get through all of this, we'll spend some time at the tail end of the show talking about FileMaker DevCon so that if you don't care about FileMaker DevCon, you can just move on to your next episode. Um, so I, so I, I can just move on? Yes, <laughs> you can move on, Joe. I'll just sit here and babble for a while. Nice. Um, I'll, take, I'll take the dog out. So if you recall from before I left, um, I was targeting to really get one one piece of information out of DevCon um, mm. from talking to some of the FileMaker engineers to see if I could get, you know, a 
a like a BNF notation or some other kind of grammar expression for how the FileMaker calculation engine works and what it's supposed to be doing so that I can write a parser for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds like a reasonable request. Sure. Um, and the end result of those discussions was there is not a document of the variety which I require in any form which anyone is capable of giving me. There are lots of weird little edge cases in that statement. Um, but I tried telephoning the castle. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to get that document. Um, so that was kind of bad news. That means I get to write one or I get to put off development of FM comparison for say eight months while waiting for, to see if FileMaker is going to put that modification in the next version of FileMaker. Um, not thrilled with that idea. So Mm. I'm going to go ahead and push ahead. So that was my bad news. There was good news. And the good news is that one of the kind of FM comparison 2.0 features was going to be having the ability to take whatever the diff was, reduce that to a properly formed chunk of XML, and be able to use that to update your FileMaker system. So on the FileMaker roadmap is a set of uh, script steps which would allow you to hand that script step a chunk of XML. And then when you run the script step, it will apply the changes defined in that XML directly to your system. Okay. So if you can write this XML properly, you can do massively complicated version updates in basically one script step. Mm-hmm. it'll yeah. just go chunk and shove them all in there and so i was pretty sure that in a later version of fm comparison i was going to need to write these that i was going to need to be able to take the results of the diff and then properly encode them in such a way that i handed you xml that covered all the differences between these two systems and it would go and it now appears as though FileMaker is going to build those for us. Nice. They're basically going to write a diff engine without any kind of UI. Hmm. It'll be like a command line thing, kind of the way the new FileMaker data migration tool works. And so um, they'll build this XML, but not really have any substantive tools for going, okay, here's what's going to happen. You're going to need something else that's going to kind of lay that out for you. And so that'll be a slot that FM Comparison will slide into nicely. So they just took a huge amount of code off my plate and then put a huge amount of code back on my plate. So, okay. Um, Good news, bad news situation. Yeah, you kind of broke even there. Yeah. Yeah, probably in the long run. Um, so yeah, so post DevCon, it was kind of digging in online and I've started to dig into a tool called Antler, mm-hmm. A-N-T-L-R. 
and it is do, a do, i'm sorry do they have a dot io domain uh dot org okay just seems like anytime you see those kind of cutesy company <laughs> names it's always a dot io uh so it's not a a company it's an open source tool okay um hence the dot org or something the antler organization um so antler stands for another tool for language recognition hmm. and so what it is is it's a tool where you write out the grammar in something similar to like that bnf notation and you hand that to the tool and what the tool does is it writes the source code for a parser that knows how to parse that data Um, which is cool as hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's neat. All you have to be able to do is clearly define what the language looks like. And it's, it's basically, for the most part, unambiguously define what the language looks like. And it will automatically write the parser hundreds, maybe thousands of lines of code. <laughs> That will break that up into exactly the kinds of chunks that you have defined in the grammar. Sweet. Yeah. Um, so far, I'm having a really hard time getting started. Um, because most of the walkthroughs and things are kind of like, well, here's where you download this plugin and here's where you do this thing and here's whatever. And like, here's how you run the grammar. And then you do something or other. And now you've got all this code. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's start like all the way back at the beginning with like project setup. Like assume mm -hmm. I have nothing because I'm not just integrating this stuff with my project until I know where I'm going and what I'm doing. So just assume yeah. from new project, what am I doing here? How does this work? Um, so, yeah. And then I've also been looking to see, it looks as though... Between some of the information that's in the official FileMaker documentation for the calculation functions and some of the information that people have gathered up for doing context coloring in tools like TextMate, I think between those, I should be able to relatively quickly write the grammar. Um, it is not going to be a 50 line document. It's going to be a thousand or 2000 line document. Yeah. But the cool part will be when FileMaker adds new calculation functions, I will not have to go into source code to figure out how to add support for these. I can go back to the grammar, update the grammar run it through the processor and get a whole new chunk of source code that I just replace. Because that new source code will be able to handle all the old stuff plus the new stuff. In theory, step one, get yeah. it to work once. <laughs> like parse my name, first name, last name. That's kind of all I need to start with. But we got to get there first. So Get it to work once, just like my modals. Yeah. In theory, that would be my project for this week, but uh, I'm already running into post-DevCon brain drain 
Oh yeah, I'm uh-huh. sure. And I'm, it's a good time to not talk to anybody for days. <clears throat> yeah. Well, just because I'm going to say stupid stuff. I mean, we really shouldn't be recording today, actually, Joe. <laughs> we really, we really shouldn't. <laughs> um, but if I get some time and some brain capacity, that's what I'll be playing with, seeing if I can get Antler running. It looks like, in theory, the tools should work on macOS, but um, I may just have to boot into Windows and try it from there. We shall see. So that's me as far as uh, my project status. Uh, project status? Who, who are you? Pro- project update. That's my project Thank update. Thank you. Sorry. How dare you. That is the update on my project. <laughs> status. <laughs> you can you can send your status to your project manager. So, uh, so yeah, tell us about filemaker inc becoming claris and some of the other stuff i guess kind of the big news of everything you're allowed to talk about at devcon um yeah well so first off to the best of my knowledge nothing that i saw there was covered under nda okay they certainly didn't call it out and i think by definition when you don't call it out it isn't covered by nda so um, it was a very open sort of thing, which is cool and an interesting change of pace. Um, so they are, they being the company formerly known as FileMaker, um, are expanding their product offerings beyond just FileMaker. And as part of that, then, it seemed a little silly to be calling the company FileMaker when they make things other than FileMaker. Mm-hmm. So they renamed. In the process of renaming, just went back to their old name <laughs> from like 15, 16 years ago, mm-hmm. which was Claris. Um, I still have fond memories of the name. Yeah. So... It's fine. No, no real issues there. Um, yeah. So the new product offering is from an acquisition that Apple made maybe a year ago, 18 months ago, okay. called Stamplay. And Stamplay, the service has now been rebranded as Claris Connect. And what Claris Connect does is make it honestly pretty trivial to tie together REST APIs and web services. Mm -hmm. Um, So that all these different web-based, cloud-based tools that offer APIs the integrations become just dirt simple. You know, you can connect to some sort of thing that says, oh, when I make a new customer or a a customer signs up for something on the website, which is being run through this questionnaire system, it then spits that data out and uh, sees whether they have 
flagged to be added to the mailing list. And if they have automatically inject their contact information over to MailChimp and then go to um, Salesforce and automatically make a customer record for them. And then customer contact information related to them filling out the questionnaire and that someone should contact them within the next couple of weeks to see if they have further questions. And then that then feeds some other system that drives a direct mail thing. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, that integration just doing that work, each of those connections in raw code is like a week's worth of work. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's like 48, 40 hour days or I'm sorry, 40 hour week to crank through and cover that and cover the error things so that it works pretty consistently. Yeah. And with Stamplay that entire, with Claris Connect, that entire sequence is an hour yeah, so a bit of a digression here. Yeah. Um, when I first started FileMaker development in 2011 and 2012, if you poked your head into the business world, and particularly for people coming to FileMaker, almost everything we were replacing were in-house cobbled together systems of Excel sheets. Mm -hmm. uh, people doing stuff in Excel or Google Sheets or maybe the occasional access database lots and lots of documents maybe on nas or a shared folder and then you know almost every filemaker developed at the time was replacing systems like that or existing filemaker systems mm -hmm. and around 2015 i said something at a filemaker user group that everybody thought was crazy <laughs> but i was right <laughs> um hashtag joe was right so i had said this was after I had spent some time outside of FileMaker for the first time in several years. I spent some time using Airtable and talking to other people doing similar kind of not entirely custom, but filling the same type of clientele that FileMaker developers did. And I, I said that if FileMaker doesn't change at some point, they're going to be left behind because the thing that FileMaker is good at is replacing these old systems where newer businesses, new startups, particularly the type of people that we see at, you know, the Idea Foundry or those local meetups and things like that, they're not using complex Excel sheets. They're using lots of different mm -hmm. completed third-party services and tying them together with things like Zapier or, you know, on the consumer level, IFTTT. Um, and everybody kind of laughed me out of the room. It's like, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And here we are four years later and FileMaker is doing exactly what I thought mm -hmm. they should have done four years ago. And so it's a little bit validating, but also kind of like, well, yeah, about time. Like you've had the, like you could kind of see this coming when they started adding API support into FileMaker. Like, okay, yeah, we, we need this to get to this next step. I didn't know if this was going to come from some acquisition or if they were going to roll their own or just you know, license out Zapier or one of the other services. Cause there, there are a dozen of these companies out there that do this type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting that this is now part of the offerings from Claris and assuming it'll have really well done implementation or integration with FileMaker or I don't know, is that true? Mm -hmm. Do you have to just write all of your own API parsing stuff in scripts like you do now? 
no. No. So FileMaker can be, as far as I could tell, either a data source or a data destination. <clears throat> so you can basically just say, oh, yeah, uh, send stuff out to this particular workflow in Claris Connect. Mm-hmm. And it'll just shove some JSON at it. And then that launches a whole sequence of events, depending upon what... I can't remember what they called them, but it, it, it's like a stream of operations. Yeah. Um, and those could also happen anywhere in the middle. So you could bop along and be like, okay, drop this information into FileMaker. Now grab this data back out of FileMaker because that's now had FileMaker level business logic applied to it. And mm-hmm. so you can just keep going then. Yeah. There. The multi-step process is what's, what I think is interesting from your first example of like somebody signs up, you pass it on to MailChimp, but then mm-hmm. you're also saving stuff in the database, like mm-hmm. doing mixing three or four, 10 services into one chain of events. That is yeah. where it gets really powerful. And then there was also the ability, like at, at any point, any of those responses from those systems, you could take like one particular value and shove it into a variable. <clears throat> so you didn't have to just chain A into B into C you could do A, B, C, and it from each one of those, grab one value and then use those four values together and feed that to D. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't just, you know, you, you could only connect this to this or something like that. It was yeah, really pretty so. flexible. Any idea when this is launching? Um, they might have talked about that. I don't know. So since I was working the booth, um, there's very few of the sessions that I got to catch. So if you're looking for, Dave's going to tell us all about everything that happened at DevCon, I have some bad news for you because I know hardly anything about what happened at DevCon. Nice. Mostly a starting session, keynotes, and then the closing session, and then working in the vendor area. That's what I know about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it sounds interesting. I do like the name Claris. I just don't like the name Claris Engagement. I will not be engaged. <laughs> yeah, but you weren't going to go to DevCon either. No, that's true. Uh, it is going to be in Nashville next year. I mean, they, in my opinion, they they messed up the words. So Claris Connect should have been DevCon, and they should have come up with a different name for the new <laughs> API service. It's not too late, Claris. I'll just call them FileMaker. <laughs> You can still save this. Anyway, did you win an award? Um, well, that's a fascinating question. Um, so just, you, you mentioned awards. I'm like, why is he mentioning awards? Did did you was, were there awards for your class? Well, so they they give out awards at the closing session, and um, Geist Interactive won an award for the quality and technical advancement of its tools Hmm. but they didn't name any of the tools they seem to be in a real rush to get done with the award thing so in previous years they've they've talked about why a company won the award and they were like we're doing the awards and we're getting out of here i don't know Mm -hmm. so as far as i'm concerned fm perception is award winning Mm -hmm. um but uh yeah yeah, I, I think they ran out of time b- 
because of the uh, the closing speaker. Had a really interesting closing speaker who um, was... Uh, uh, there were two entirely different reactions to him within the community. About half the people in the audience thought it was one of the greatest, most profound things they had ever heard. And the other half hated every second of it. Which will I be? (laughs) No, I'm excited. (laughs) Well, I mean, you kind of would have to have been there. Yeah. Because it was, regardless of how good his ideas were, it was all delivery. Um, He was talking about essentialism and, you know, removing those things from your life which aren't the most important things, mm-hmm. i.e. Uh, kind of opportunity costs. So if you're not concentrating on things that are in the top 10%, if you're concentrating on something that's at the 30% level, that means that there's something in the 10% level that you're not giving the appropriate attention to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if you can kind of refocus on the most important things, you'll also be able to give those things the appropriate amount of attention. And there were certain moments as he was talking where I went, wow, that's really awesome. And then five seconds later, couldn't remember what it was he'd said because this is the closing session and my brain is tofu. Yeah. Just just gone. Like, I think I might have really enjoyed the session if it was in the opening session. Like, let's set the stage for the entire week. Okay, that sounds cool and I can do that and my brain is not tofu at that point. Mm-hmm. But at the closing session, I'm not connecting words accurately. I mean, much less listening. and I'm not forming new long-term memories at this point. Yeah, I'm barely forming short-term memories. Wait, and you know a thing or two about opening up an event with a good, you know, inspiring speech. Link in the show notes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um... So, um, yeah, I, 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 regardless of what the guy was trying to do, it was not the right place to connect with my brain. Did, did he write a book called Essentialism? Uh, he wrote a book. Couldn't tell you what the name of it was. Yeah, As a matter of cool. fact, at this point, I couldn't tell you what his name was. Because again, Tofu. I read a book called Essentialism several years ago. So yeah, most of my time at DevCon was spent at the booth. And um, I've... I have had so many thoughts about booths at developer conferences in the last week. Yeah. So a lot of time spent at the booth. Um, The biggest issue, at least for us, being relatively low traffic. Um, Hmm. The design and layout of the vending area did not lend itself to all the booths being equally visible. Hmm. Or receiving equal traffic and were not conducive to looking around and seeing which booths people were visiting. Mm, Like, oh, I should go over there and find out what's going on because it seems like there are a lot of people at that booth. Maybe I should go look. Um, They were kind of randomly scattered around the floor and rotated oddly. And all of the people who were entering that area were entering from one specific side. Hmm. 
And so there were quite a number of tables that they could sit at without entering the vending area at all. And then we were on the far opposite side of the vending area from there. So not only are we not visible, it's not clear how to get there. It's not even entirely clear that there is a there there. <clears throat> um, this is our, this is my fourth DevCon as a vendor. The first year they had the booths around the outside edge of the dining area. So if you were in the dining area and you stood up and spun around, you could see every single booth. Great visibility. Mm -hmm. uh, second year, they had them at one end of the room with the dining area. So kind of defied, like one third of the dining area was just vending. But they also had them in very clean rows. So it was very easy to say, I'm going to go look at vending and then walk up and down the rows and know you'd hit everything and seen everything that the show had to offer. The third year had all the booths running down the center of the dining area um, as one column of booths with everybody facing outside, basically. So it's a, it's a line, but the booths are all facing out the length of the line. Mm -hmm. And that also worked relatively well because over the course of the week, everybody's going to end up on one side or the other of the wall. And so you'll end up seeing, or at least being exposed to everything that's there. And this year it was just random. Um, the dining was around the outside edge of the booths. And so people avoided walking all the way through the dining or all the way through the booths to get to more dining if they had the option. Mm -hmm. They'd just take the nearer spot. And at the nearer spot, you could see maybe a third of the booths <laughs> with any clarity. And that was kind of it. Yeah. So. So um, I have a question. Yeah. So in the press release that FileMaker and Claris put out last week, they had something called the Claris platform is built on four pillars. Mm -hmm. And they're very heavy with buzzwords. I'm not going to read them because I don't want to fall asleep. But uh, the fourth one, emerging technologies, enhance all FileMaker services with AI and advanced technologies such as AR slash VR. Any idea what that's about? The AR VR? No. Oh, yeah. I did not get into a conversation with anybody that could clarify that question for me. Um, I think they talked about it in one of the sessions, but okay. again, booth. No if sessions. anybody if anybody knows, please get in touch because <laughs> I want to know. And if if somebody at FileMaker is working on AR VR, they should get in touch with me because I will help them with that. Because I would much rather be doing that than anything else. I just haven't found a good way to make money doing that right now. Um, I did see a really cool demo with the AI. Mm -hmm. Would you like to hear about that? Was it machine learning based? Yep. Yeah, I think I heard something about this, but yeah. Um, so they, basically there was a script step for loading a core ML, um, uh, I can't remember what it's called. The the model that Core mm -hmm. ML builds, and so you could say in your iPhone based FileMaker Go system, 
Uh, first piece was Siri integration. Hey, Dingus, do we have any more of these? And that opened the FileMaker system, went to the appropriate view so that it could re- light up the camera to take a picture and stick it into the FileMaker system. Right. So you pointed at, in this particular case, was a uh, an auto mechanic. He's just mm-hmm. removed a part from a car. So you go, hey, Dingus, do we have any more of these? Pointed at the thing, and it identifies the part, then runs the inventory check and says whether you've got it or not. Nice. And if you don't have any in stock, there was an order button. And if you click the order button, it wanted you to tap your company ID on your phone using the NFC chip. Mm-hmm. So you just think, and it was like, okay, we've ordered it. Thanks. Nice. Um, pretty slick. It also it, makes me wonder if there might be a business in building core ML customer or models for FileMaker customers. Maybe. Because all that FileMaker needs is the end model. It doesn't build them. It doesn't have any of those tools. It just needs the model. And so being able to accurately build good models and guide people through the process of building them might be an interesting consulting angle. On the other hand, it's it's stuff that's so well documented in the mm. Apple world that like you'd probably be just if you are a developer, you'd probably save time just getting the Ray Wenderlich book on machine learning and doing it yourself. Um, possibly. I mean, it's exceptionally well documented. So is Xcode, but that doesn't mean that a lot of FileMaker developers want to dig into it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess um, it's like. Yeah, I see what you mean. Different levels of developer or people who want to just only do FileMaker. Yeah. I don't know. I, I've been considering it. Not that I'm gonna about to start that business or anything. You're only allowed so. to start accidental businesses, not premeditated <laughs> ones. If you have a if you have a plan, it'll never work out. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, um, if you want to know more about DevCon, you need to listen to somebody else's podcast because mm-hmm. I'm not that guy. So yeah. Cool. Well, I'm glad you're back. Hopefully, I will be back sometime next week. I'm not entirely back yet. Yeah. In the meantime, get some rest. I'm going to go back to Swift UI. Awesome. Anyway, that is our show for today. If you like the show, please recommend us on Overcast or leave a review on iTunes. And please tell your friends and share the show around a little bit on social media. Help us get some new listeners and... uh, you know, send it to anybody who you think is helpful. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.